For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com. Welcome to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Hello, my name is Tim McMillan. Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Stories brought to you by Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Uh, my next guest in this episode hails from the tiny farming town of Tambalup. Uh, in WA's Great Southern. If you are a Frio fan or a Melbourne fan and you think that that rings a bell, uh, well, you'd be right. It's where Jeff the Wizard Farmer comes from. Uh, but it's also produced uh, one of the most high-profile business leaders in the country. Uh, he's held a number of prominent corporate positions over the years. Currently, he chairs the AFL Qantas, energy giant Woodside, the WA Symphony Orchestra and the Telethon Trust. He's previously spent uh, about 12 years at the helm of Australia's largest employer in the private sector, that is West Farmers, and has the unusual honour of being the West Australian of the year two times in a row. Uh, and there's a story around that as well. But let's firstly say hello and welcome to our guest, Richard Goiter. Hello, Richard. Hi, Tim. Nice how to be with you. I'm really well, and you? Thank you for your time. Much is said about how busy you are, so I appreciate you uh, sparing an hour of your time uh, to chat with us on the program. We've got a nice window this week after grand final and before the corporate stuff all revs up again. You must have to make the most of those downtime moments because I imagine they're quite rare. Yeah, and and, and as you get a little bit older, um, you actually need that uh, to revitalise a bit. But, mm. but also, you know, I, I, I do like being busy and... Uh, Obviously. I love, I love being involved in the things I'm involved in, yeah. uh, Tim, particularly working with the people I work with. Uh, so it's, it's great fun. Which, which sounds like uh, just a million miles away from what I imagine life in Tambalup is like. Uh, what goes on in Tambalup? Well, it's, Tambalup still exists. Yeah. Uh, when I was there, Tim, I, I went to primary school in Tambalup. Yeah. There were more than 200 kids at the local primary school. I think there's now 60, 60 to 70. Yeah. So that shows you how regional towns have changed. Um, and, you know, our farm was a small farm. We moved to a, a bigger farm, and but eventually that got sold to three neighbours and eventually another farm got sold. So four farms became three, became two, and that's what happened. But Tam, where I grew up, it was it was the most wonderful upbringing yeah. on a farm. So it, it's sheep and, and, and wheat yeah, sheep sort and, of area, right? Sheep and cropping. Yeah. I've got a brother and two sisters um, and life was pretty simple then, um, yeah. but great fun. You know, I started playing football. I was quite tall for my age when I was young, so I, was, I think I was allowed to play for um, junior footy when I was five and wasn't meant to be playing for another year or so, but I was reasonably tall. So the local policeman, a guy called Rod Davies, had me in the, you know, so there was footy, there was a bit of cricket, there was the local football, and that's where the farmers and the Williams were the stars of mm. the then Tamblup Footy Club. Uh, so it was, it was, I had a, I had a, mm. a joyous childhood. So, I mean, as a, as a youngster, were you expected to, to get up early and do your chores on the farm? Was that part of life as a kid? Yeah. And I tell my children, our, our four children that now, and they sort of look at me like that. You like know. you're just telling yeah. one of your stories. So, and, and we were lucky enough, um, uh, mum and dad made really significant sacrifices. So, so um, Jane and Andrew and Sally and I were able, all able to go to boarding school. So the, I, I had, you had to do more when, particularly 
Jane and Andrew were away from home. So, yeah, if the, if the hot water system wasn't lit with wood chopped and lit, then we didn't have hot showers and, um, you know, there were chooks to feed and dogs to feed and odd jobs and mm. always something to do around the farm. I, I was better at sheep work than I ever was on a tractor, mm. um, whereas my brother Andrew was much better on a tractor than yeah. I was. So there was always something to do and something to keep yourself busy. But, you know, I, th- I think that that farming background, we had some tough times, it sort of builds resilience and builds a bit of um, ability to sort of look after yourself a bit as well. Yeah. You have to be very pragmatic, don't you, in a, in a farming life? Yeah, pragmatic. I mean, our house and was, just balanced and roll with whatever yeah. challenges come your way. Our house was tiny. You have four yeah. kids, tiny house. Um, I always knew that we'd had a good season because Dad would be able to buy an, a new car or a new second-hand car. But you could always tell that there was mm. you know, things were going okay, but I also knew when things weren't going that well. Yeah. Uh, but it was it was an amazing community. That you know, the, we're close to all the neighbours. Everyone helped each other out, whether it was sporting events or sort of dances in the in in town bluff and things like that. There were mm. there were there was a really good close community and people helped each other out. So it was, it was a fun, fun, fun growing up. How did the goiters end up putting roots down in, in Tambalump in this tiny little speck of a place in the great Southern? Where, where, where does the goiter name come from? Well, the goiter name actually comes from a guy called George W. Goiter, who was a surveyor general in South Australia. And he actually surveyed what was then called Palmerston is now called Darwin as surveyor general of South Australia, took a boat around the West coast and, and, and surveyed what is now Darwin. So some goiters then from him went east and some went west. Uh, so Dad grew up on a dairy farm in Bailingup in the southwest and Mum grew up on a station called Kalajiti just out of Carnarvon. Uh, and Dad then worked for International Harvesters, met Mum and Mum's parents helped Mum and Dad into a farm in Tambluff. It was... Mm. 1,200 acres, whatever that is in hectares, less than 500 hectares. So it was a tire, very small farm. Mm. Um, but that's how it all started. And, yeah. You know, I, and I was actually born in the Tambluff Hospital, which is um, not not a, a lot of people were born in the Tambluff Hospital, so I can take yeah. that as a claim to fame. <laughs> how does it feel uh, having to share the uh, the tag of, you know, most famous export with uh, with Jeff Farmer? There's no doubt, no doubt Jeff's a more famous export. Who, and... and what an ama- yeah, a great guy, amazing footballer, and yeah. uh, Tamblot's very proud of Jeff Farmer. Yeah, as they are of you, I'm sure. Do you go back there at all? And and if if you are in that area, does it sort of pull on the heartstrings at all, or has it been too long? I went back a few years ago, Tim. They asked me to go and open the new Sport and Rec Centre, and it was one of the highlights of my life. Frankly, was being asked to go back to your hometown and open this new facility uh, that is an amazing facility and sort of now the centre of town in Tambla. So I was asked to go and open that, which was a thrill. Mm. And then a couple of years ago, um, there's a, a, a guy in Tambla who's a year younger than me, I think, Justin Taylor, and he has this thing called the offal, which is old fellows, Aussie rules, football. So pre-seeding, they go from January through to where seeding is March, every week go and train, run around, kick a footy, try not to do too many hamstrings. So I went and joined them, I think last year, the year before, for, for one of their seasons and mm. had a chat afterwards because we had a barbecue. So I've, you know, so some of the old names are still down there and 
and Tamblup is still a, in its own way, its own vibrant community. So yeah. it's, it's yeah. great, to, great to visit. Uh, you were about 14 when you uh, headed up to Perth uh, to attend boarding school at Hale. Yeah. Um, were you looking forward to spreading your wings a little bit and getting out of you know, the farming life in Tambalup and seeing what, what went on in the big smoke? Yeah, so that was second year high school. Yeah. Um, and a lot of my friends had already sort of headed up to Perth. And, yeah, I actually I was looking forward to it. Uh, and and I loved my time at Hale School. I had four years there as a builder. Mm. Um, the most amazing sporting facilities. I, mean, I, uh, I spent more time on sport than I did on academic pursuits when I was <laughs> at school, Tim. But uh, great mates in the boarding house and incredible sort of opportunities. Yeah. Uh, so, I, I, yeah, I, I, I loved my time at Hale School. Is it true that at around about the age of 14, you said to one of your mates then that one day you'll be, you'll be the Prime Minister. Yeah, sadly it is true. <laughs> but but fortunately for the country and for a whole lot of people, it never happened. But I, I, Was it something you said or just... Or, or, no, I did say Did you genuinely feel, oh, like, that's my goal, that's where I'm going? At that, at that stage of my life, yeah, no, I thought, oh, yeah, I, I, I want to be Prime Minister. I, I had a friend who... Why used, did you want to be Prime Minister? Yeah, good question. That's <laughs> <laughs> the right question. <laughs> Um, I think a bit of it's, you know, I've always been ambitious, still am ambitious, um, not just personally, but to sort of get things done that hopefully improve things. Uh, and I, I was pretty clear early on, I didn't want to be a farmer. I, I saw how difficult and challenging farming was for mum and dad. Uh, and I thought, well, you know, as a young person, what can you do to make a difference? And so, mm. Well, yeah, you can potentially as prime minister. So yeah. Anyway, that uh, <laughs> that, that died a natural. Fortunately, did, never came to fruition. <laughs> yeah, um, you mentioned that you were more sporting focused than academic focused at school, um, and you had aspirations, didn't you, to play footy at the the highest level you could possibly reach? Yeah. And a great environment to, to nurture that certainly um, at a school like Hale. Um, did you ever think I am going to make it? I'm going to play well waffle. Maybe VFL no, was it? Was it ever a realistic? Thing? No, never. And I was never that good. Uh, and and you know I had to work really hard to play on the first team at Hale. And yeah, uh, uh, and and yeah, I was I was happy to to, to do that. And then I played amateur footy afterwards. But I played at Hale. Played with guys like Tim Jeff and Wayne Blackwell, who went on and played uh, Aussie Rules football. Mm. Brett Farmer, who was the great Polly Farmer's son, and so Polly would come down and watch us play, which mm. is amazing when I think mm. about that. And Brett sort of looked like his father on the field, you know, raking left foot kick and a beautiful handballer. So, uh, you know, I, school footy was was great fun and I lived from lived for, for, for from week to week for that. Yeah. Well, let's let the record show that it was a series of concussions that unfortunately scuppered your, uh, your football ambitions as well. Um, tell us about the head knocks you got and, and what impact that had on your ability to take to the field every weekend. Yeah, so I... I had a year off after school as an exchange yeah. student, Tim, as you know. And um, well, so when I came back, I played amateur footy for uni. Yeah. And then I, I actually, you know, I think 1982, I couldn't get a game at any of the teams at uni really. And I had a mate who was at what was then called Old Scotch. And he said, well, we need a full forward. Why don't you come down to us? So I got a clearance from uni halfway through that year in 82 and went to Old Scotch. And we ended up playing university in the amateur A grade grand final that year. I'm, I'm sure I was the last person picked in the old Scotch team. But anyway, we and we beat uni in that in that 
game. So that was which, the which must have been very satisfying for you. Then. Was huge. <laughs> other than scoring a point in the in the Tamworth Under Twelve Grand Final win against Police Boys, that was as good as it gets. I think it was the year after that, probably. So I was still relatively young, twenty three yeah. or twenty four. Uh, um, I was playing. I had about three concussions that year, and one was in a final, and I ended up in hospital afterwards. And I was, yeah. I was pretty crook. And I saw a doctor afterwards, and he said, "Richard, you're never going to make any money out of football, um, but if you don't." Give it away. You Save your noggin for something else. Yeah, you're not going to be yeah. much good for anything. So yeah. that, that was a, a, a good wake-up call. You might have been able to get away with it as Prime Minister, but not as a business leader. Yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> so, Tim, I'm a, I'm a much better footballer in my dreams than I ever yeah, was exactly. in, in reality. Well, that's the best place. <laughs> yeah. um, let's take a break. After that, I want to hear more about you at uh, your uni days because, again, uh, from what I've uh, uh, come to know of you, Richard, um, you know, socialising and all of the fun things at uni was still very much a focus rather than, uh, I suppose, uh, what you might expect setting you on the path uh, to uh, taking charge of some of the most important boardrooms in the country. So we'll get into that right after we take a break. This is Inspiring Stories with Richard Goiter. Back with more in a moment. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. In this episode, the inspiring story of Richard Goida, uh, as I mentioned at the start, uh, who chairs uh, some of the most uh, important and uh, prominent organisations in the country, Qantas, Woodside, uh, the AFL, uh, and locally the Telethon Trust and uh, the WA Symphony Orchestra. But let's go back to the year post-school, Richard. You've got the world at your feet. Uh, uni- university beckons. Uh, you decided to take a gap year and venture off uh, into other parts of the world. So as a Rotary Youth Exchange student, uh, I understand, where did you go and what did you learn? Yeah, Tim, I, I went to upstate New York and, you know, what a, a shock for a, a country boy from WA. Left left Australia on um, around the middle of January and I think it was 114 degrees Fahrenheit uh, in Perth the day I left and arrived in Buffalo, New York, and it was about 15 degrees Fahrenheit mm. uh, and uh, in the middle of one of their <laughs> biggest sun, uh, snowfall winters of all time. Uh, so a, a massive difference. But I, And I stayed with three host families in, in upstate New York on Lake, on Lake Erie, uh, and they're all different, amazing families. Um, I, had, I had an incredible year. Um, actually spent eight weeks on a Greyhound bus um, with another exchange student travelling around to different, staying with Rotary families, visiting more than 40 of the 50 states. Um, Amazing. Know, what I, an experience. I for, think I spoke to mum and dad three times that teenager. year. teenager. Because yeah. it was expensive. So yep. it was all, you know, lettergrams and, mm. and, and the like. Uh, so I grew up a lot in 78 uh, and um, saw a lot. Um, went over as a naive, seemed to turn 18-year-old, came back a little bit more worldly probably. <laughs> and it was an interesting time in the US, Tim, because in 78 it was post-Watergate. They were still getting over sort of, you know, some years, but still getting over that. Jimmy Carter was president. Um, the Iranian hostage thing was on. There, there was a bit going on in the US at the time, and there, but there was also, a, um, you know, a simplicity in life and and high school graduates and college students mm. you know, had had a fun time and yeah you know i had some great mates there and and you know wonderful families and and, and a, a mm. terrific year yeah 
uh, reality was waiting for you when you got yeah. <laughs> back to Perth, though. Um, straight into uh, University of WA. Um, what did you study and what did you take from that? Uh, so I did a commerce degree. Yeah. And the only reason I did a commerce degree was I didn't really know what I wanted yeah. to do. It's and one of those sort of default yeah, courses, isn't it, really? And a lot less uh, options back in you know, in the early 80s than there are now at university. Uh, Tim, so I, I did commerce and wasn't sure whether I'd want to do law one day or not. And um, So what did I take from it? Oh, I, I, I passed just, um, <laughs> yeah. but I met, I met my future wife. I um, made great friends. More life lessons. I was at St. George's College uh, and then rented houses a couple of years. I went actually back to house school as a resident junior housemaster one year. So I sort of grew up a bit more. Yeah. I, I I don't recall a lot from that 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 I what I studied being overly helpful. You know, as I went into the into employment. Yeah. Uh, but you know, UWA gave me a great tertiary mm. education, but also again helped helped me grow up as a person. And yeah. And my best friends today, you know, Janine's my best friend, um, but my best friends today are probably from. Yeah. That time at university. Yeah. Um, can you trace back to any, any moments or any period where you started to, to think about, um, the sorts of roles that you might like to reach at some point in the future? Cause I mean, if you look at your, you know, your, your, your CV, it's, it's been, um, one after the other of, you know, of, of very, um, highly sought after roles, uh, that you've had. Um, did you start to think about, you filling those positions at any point in time? Well, when did when did that idea Not, that yeah. you said you're ambitious? But yeah. when when did when did you start to sort of, you know, put those roles in your mind? Not not at that age stage, Tim. So I was lucky in, in my final year of university. Um, we're in an environment a bit like now, where there were more jobs than there were people. So I I had three employment options when I left university. One was to go and work for a chartered accounting firm. One was to go and work for a bank as a graduate. And one was to go and work for this company called Tube Makers as a, a commercial person. And, uh, this sounds incredibly mercenary, but when you've haven't, when you've been at uni for three years and I pump petrol, you know, for $4 an hour to, yeah. to, to have some money. So I think, uh, the ANZ bank, it was at the time offered me $13,750 a year. Um, <laughs> Price Waterhouse Coopers offered me fourteen thousand dollars a year, and Chewbacca's offered fifteen thousand. So it was, a, it was an easy decision. Easy, <laughs> it's an easy decision. And I ended up working for this amazing company, Chewbacca's, and I, I was actually employed by a woman, woman by the name of Wendy Bannister, and she was in, a great person to work for initially. She, you know, she um, gave me a lot of, imparted on me a lot of things. And Chipmakers, which was 49% owned by BHP, was an incredibly well-run company with great people in it um, who, who were just, you know, good people with good values. And so I spent the first 11 years of my working life working for Chipmakers. Um, and as soon as I started, I, mm. I was ambitious for the next job. Mm. In fact, early on in my career, a guy called Phil Arnell said to me, Richard, stop worrying about you move in two moves time and just concentrate on the job you're currently doing, which was great advice. Mm. Um, but I was, I, you know, in, in 10 or 11 years at Chewmakers, I had that many jobs. Mm. So Perth, I had two jobs in Perth, then we moved to Sydney and, yeah. and I, I, 
if if any young person's listening to this, Tim, I'd I'd say I probably took myself a bit too seriously early on in my career because um, I was on the on the treadmill. Yeah, and I'm a no regrets person, but if I was giving Richard the advice of whatever that was 40 years ago, I'd say actually jump off, go and work in the UK or the US or whatever, and then come back because it yeah wasn't it's all that good important. experience. Yeah, it's all good experience. But I, you know, I was lucky enough. I I went from job to job. Mm. Um, someone said they'll find something you can do one day, but I was lucky enough to get lots of opportunities. Yeah, and, yeah, and, and and that I think also built that the ambition to to want to do more. And I I wanted to become a decision maker. I wanted to be to be able to make decisions and be held accountable for decisions yeah. that that I made. Well, talking about uh, making decisions, um, let's fast forward to to West Farmers. Um, orchestrating, I think, what was perhaps still is the biggest um, corporate deal uh, in the country's history as West Farmers taking on a whole lot more um, under that umbrella uh, of ownership. I mean, you could reel off the companies for us, but there's some of the, you know, the real institutional uh, brands here, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, Coles in particular. Yeah. Um, West Farmers already a, a, a gigantic company in its own right. Um, but it, it, tell us about that that deal that you did there and um, and what it was like having to to wear the consequences of that on your shoulders. Well, Tim, I, I had – I loved my time at West Farmers. It was, yeah. It's an amazing company and um, it, it West Farmers brought us back to Perth um, in 93, although we went back to Sydney a few years later with West Farmers. Um, and, again, lots of opportunities. It's never – you know, most people's careers are never a linear line. You know, I had – my ups and downs like others did. Um, but I was fortunate enough to be uh, appointed CEO in 2005. And in 2007, you know, but I remember my predecessor, Mike Cheney, often saying growth is the biggest challenge. How, how do you continue to grow a business? And West Farm is incredibly financially disciplined. And in 2000 and – well, actually, in 2006, we missed an opportunity um, to buy a business. And as I reflected on that opportunity missed – I reflected that my leadership wasn't as strong as it should have been and I was waiting. I was trying to be this collaborative leader that everyone came together and I sort of worked out that actually sometimes as a leader or more than sometimes you have to lead. So my my um, reflection was, you know, when there's opportunities, sometimes you've got to step forward and lead. And the opportunity with Coles came up early in 2007. It was a business that wasn't going as well as it could have or should have been going. Uh, and, you know, we stepped up to the plate and it was a big year, you know, early on there were other private equity groups. The Coles business wasn't just supermarkets, mm. it was fuel, it was Kmart, it was Target, it was a big business. Was, mm. As you say, it was a classic. Office works. Office yeah. works, $20 billion. Yeah. Um, and it was a complex sort of process to get there. Yeah. And, and, and we finally announced a deal, I think, in late June in 2007. I mean, going to a, to announce that though, when you're at the helm, uh, you know, people would would have been, you know, jaws on the floor, going, "Wow, that's that's a big call." Yeah, yeah. It, 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 was was it always apparent to you just how how massive it was? Yes and no. Yes, in it was always a big deal. No, was I'm I was always confident that this was a great these were great businesses mm. and we were going to be able to do okay out of this business. So some people said, "You bet, West Farmers on it." I said, "No." 
we never bet West Farmers on because these are good businesses and West Farmers had other great businesses like Bunnings, for example. Yeah. Um, in hindsight, I'd probably bet my career on it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Janine at one stage said, Richard, why did you do that? You know, why, did you, <laughs> why did you put yourself through this? But yeah. it was one of those opportunities, Tim. And, you know, it wasn't just me. I, we had great people um, in the Bunnings team at the time, you know, John Gillam and Peter Davis. I had great people. Tom O'Leary, who's now running Iluca, who was running business development. Um, Terry Bowen, Gene, a whole lot of Gene Tilbrook, a whole lot of really good people and then great people on the board mm. who, you know, all looked at this and said, well, why not? You know, mm. Why can't we do this? Because we could see there was a big value creation. And, you know, I look at Coles now and, and West Farmers has exited Coles, but I, I look at Coles with a degree of pride in the sense that it was a business that wasn't going well and it's a business now that's going mm. really well. Kmart's totally transformed. Um, and Officeworks is an incredible business as well. So we've created not just value for the shareholders of West Farmers, but value. We, all, we always talked about creating value for all our stakeholders, yeah. including employees and suppliers and the communities. And I think we're able to do that with yeah. those businesses. Uh, last uh, question. It's probably a flippant one before we go to another break, Richard. Um, are you in any way responsible for that annoying down, down with the novelty hands <laughs> and the status quo song. Well, I, did you have anything to do with that? No, I had nothing to do with it. I did <laughs> okay. meet status quo and they're a, they're a great group of people. <laughs> so you leave it at that. Yeah. Not guilty. Not guilty. All right. Let's go to a break. Richard Goiter is our special guest on Inspiring Stories. More in a moment. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Uh, we are hearing this story of Richard Goiter, who, as I mentioned, has a number of high-profile roles, which we'll uh, talk about in just a moment. But he's also, uh, two years in a row, our West Australian of the year. Unusual to be um, holding that role for two years in a row, in a row but uh, we can blame COVID for that, can't we? What's I mean, What has that been like I'm just assuming the role for us for a second year yeah well I was uh, I mean it's as you say it's a it's a bit of a, <laughs> a novelty Tim but I, I mean I was overjoyed to have that recognition last year and uh, sadly our kids couldn't you know we've got we had kids overseas and interstate and they couldn't be with me but it's obviously a, it's, a, it's a great honor if I look at the people who have preceded me and but also a recognition of some of the things I'm involved in that you've talked about telethon and mm. and the arts and AFL footy and things like that that I think do great stuff in the community. So it's um, great recognition, but it's also, I think, an opportunity to reinforce the importance of community and reinforce the importance of people doing their bit to make, mm. you know, this incredible place where we live a, 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 an even better place. Mm. Can we go back to, to when you left uh, West Farmers? You, you'd been in the in the top job there for 12 years, but been at the company for, for longer than that. Stepping away from that, it wasn't long before you uh, ended up at, at Woodside. But f- from my observation, at least, you've gone from being uh, more in the, the operations side of thing to becoming more of a, a director role. What's the difference for you going from from that kind of role to a, to more of a chairman or director role? I mean, is it a different uh, workload for you? Is it a different sense of satisfaction you get, the input that you are able to impart on the organisation? Why one or the other? There's a few things, Tim. Well, you know, the thing about being a CEO of a company like West Farmers is the constancy. So it's it's just with you all the time. So even when you're trying to have a break, your head goes to, well, what am I going to do about this? What am I going to do that? So, I, I mean, I loved it. It was a, it was in 
in, in a sense of the word, like a adrenaline drug. Running a listed company like West Farm was so much fun, even even on the days which were challenging. But one of the things about West Farmers is, you know, I chaired things like Bunnings and Coles. So I'd, I'd had some experience of being a chair, even though it was, as you say, more operational. Yeah. So then stepping out of that sort of executive role to a non-executive role wasn't as big a change that some people would find it, I think, because I'd, West Farmers sort of run as a conglomerate. But it is, it is different and there's a, it, it is more a backroom role, you know, and um, I get criticised by people from time to time saying, you know, why aren't you more in the public domain? I, I say because I've got, you know, very capable CEOs in Alan Joyce and Meg O'Neill and Gillan McLaughlin and, you know, at Wasso, Paul Shannon and, and, and Mark McCrory at Telethon and that's their job. Mm. And my job is to ensure we've got a you know, board support governance structure that provides the owners, the shareholders with what they want in terms of mm. governance, that we're appointing the right people into senior management mm. roles and, and that I'm providing the support that I can to, whether it's Alan or Meg or Gil or others, to do the best job they can do. And, and I love that, actually. I'm really enjoying that aspect of the role and I don't miss the fronting up to media and <laughs> uh, and other things that, that go with being a CEO. Yeah. You mentioned uh, some of the people that uh, you've got in, uh, in, the, in the positions of the companies that you currently chair. Can we talk about uh, a couple of those? You know, I mean, Qantas, for instance, been through a hell of a variety over the last few years, and you have had to go and front the media, I suppose, in an effort to try to quell some of the, you know, the, the anti-Qantas sentiment that there is at the moment. So how closely are you involved in the day-to-day stuff as the chairman? Well, it sort of depends on how each yeah. business is going. So as you can imagine, post the grand final, there's been a fair bit going on the AFL and there's a lot going on there. Qantas has been, you know, I've I've been remote because of the closed border in WA, so I haven't been able to spend as much time in Sydney as I would have liked and as much time with Alan and his team as I would have liked from early 2020 through to um, earlier this year, Tim, but, you know, Alan and I have more than, more than made up for that on, in terms mm. of time on the telephone and the like. So it depends, you know, the board's heavily engaged at Qantas at the moment in what the operational performance um, metrics are, but also what initiatives are in place to improve those. I, I say to Alan sometimes, one of the reasons people are critical of Qantas is firstly that they're used to a great airline and great levels of service. They're proud, Australians are rightly proud of the national carrier, Qantas, and of also Qantas stepping up as as we've done through COVID, you know, bringing people back from Wuhan and thing, you know, uh, our crews who some people basically lived in permanent quarantine. They were either working on flying planes or in quarantine for two years, you know, some incredible things. And then 20,000 employees who were stood down and had to go and work at Bunnings or Coles or Aldi or whatever. Um, so... You know, I, I I get the ownership, um, and we, like a lot of businesses, have had our challenges getting going again. Um, we're close to where we want to be. Mm. The airline industry's globally been through the biggest challenge probably that it's ever faced, and I know this is little comfort to people who've had flights cancelled and, th- but you know, if I step back, Qantas is in 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 comparatively good shape and Alan is a is a superb CEO and I've said that many times he's he's uh you know he 
airlines are difficult businesses and he's done over a long period of time a very good job running Qantas. And Is some of the current criticism a little bit unfair in your in, in your view? I, I think, it, you know, um, yeah, I think some of it's unfair. I think some of it, um, I, I respond to everything I get from people as, hey, listen, I had this issue or whatever. Um, and, and I know that we've let people down. Uh, I, I think some of the pile on though has been a bit unfair. Uh, and, and, you know, unfortunately we're pretty good at that in this country. We're pretty mm. good at, Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, and you know, we're seeing it with Optus at the moment. There's a whole, you know, and if you take a misstep, particularly as a corporate these days, you get, you know, it's you can be it. pretty ruthless. Yeah. And sometimes it becomes more personal and, you know, all, all you can do is just focus on the job, get do the best job you can. And, and there's a whole lot of things going on. You know, we, we've, we've had reduced runway movements in Sydney because of weather and because of absenteeism, absenteeism from Air Services Australia. When we cancel flights because of that, it's a Qantas issue. Yes, yeah, it's on you. Know, you. We've cancelled the flight. Yeah. Uh, we've yeah. been told by Air Services Australia to reduce our movement, so we have to cancel flights, mm. but it's on us. That's the reality. And The villain needs com- a face. That comes with a great brand. And yeah. The Qantas brand is a great brand. And you remember earlier this year that ad, which was sort of, we all loved, which was, we're back, you know, we're mm. back in the air. And that's that's what we all want from Qantas, obviously. Yeah. Hopefully we'll be back at that point. Yeah. Sooner rather than later. We're, we're getting there. I mean, the, yeah. the aviation industry is is going to be tough it's for a while. still sorting itself out. And there's late deliveries on new aircraft. There's a whole lot of planes that have been in storage for a while that cross the industry that are just slow coming back because of all the checks that have to be done. And then there's a, tens of thousands of pilots that need to be retrained mm. again because they all, as I said, they all went and did yeah. something else. Can you give us some insight into, I mean, just how much input you are required to have with something like Qantas? I mean, are you, do you speak to Alan every day or do you speak to um, other senior members of staff? You know, is it, a, is it daily, weekly, I mean, on oh, average? It, on average, over the last two or three years, it would have been more than probably twice a day. Twice a day? With Alan, yeah. particularly. And just bouncing ideas yeah, off, yeah, yeah. off each, and, off and each ha- other? You know, that's hopefully one thing I can bring, you know, having lived through global financial crisis, the acquisition of coals that we were talking about, some other things that have happened, you know. Uh, more often than not, it's, you know, we're thinking about doing this. What do you think? Um, it's me checking in on, in this case, Alan and his team to make sure they're all okay because... You know, uh, Andrew David, who runs Qantas, his family's in New Zealand. So Andrew spent a lot of the last two years away from his family and his children, his grandchildren. So there's a lot been going on. And there were pretty dark days, Tim. If I go back Mm. to Easter in 2020, I remember sitting at home and thinking, gee, where does this all go? Because I don't think any of us knew just how long or how bad this whole COVID thing would be. But I knew it was bad for airlines. Mm. (laughs) And uh, and it was. So, yeah, we, we had a big rescue job to do and we're in much better shape than mm. we were back then. Let's take a break. More with Richard Goiter on this episode of Inspiring Stories right after this. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Tim McMillan is my name. My special guest is Richard Goida. Uh, Richard, um, as I mentioned, uh, so many hats that you have to wear. We've talked about uh, Qantas. We've talked about the AFL. Uh, you've also got uh, West Farmers, the Telethon Trust. You've got Wasso. Uh, and in the past, gosh, you've had, you know, 
Frio Dockers um, board roles, um, obviously at the at the head of of West Farmers for many years as well. What what is a day like for you? I mean, what time are you even just rolling over and acknowledging that you have this annoying mobile phone next to your head that could go off at any time to inform you about some crisis or drama that's going on? Like at what time do you kind of start your day and, you know, I suppose open yourself up to whatever spot fire you might have to put out? <laughs> There's a few. So I, I've sort of always been a bit like this, Tim. I, if I've got lots on, I, I like getting up early and trying to knock stuff off and that was either at West Farmers or even now and, um, even earlier this week, I got a, a message. First day of Dallas saving, I think, uh, uh, I, got, I got a message which was basically, yeah, can you talk? And it was 5 a.m. And, and it was a Melbourne yeah. call. And uh, I rang. I got up and I thought, oh, yeah, I'm awake now. So I got up and, and this person said, uh, I just realised it's probably 5 a.m. there. And I said, yeah, but that's all right. We're awake. Yep. Um, <laughs> and, and, and so I've got, you know, uh, Woodside board meeting coming up, which is um, overseas, and so you just got to get stuff done. And I'm I'm pretty good at compartmentalising. And if if I've got if we've got you know if Janine and I've got stuff to do, or if, like we're going you know we've got a dinner tonight, so I know that I've got to get certain stuff done. So I'll, how I'd, good are you at not going bad. to a dinner and going no, nah, not answering it. I'm pretty good at that. Yeah. Um, although Janine would say, <laughs> is Janine also if, part of that? If it's <laughs> if it's Alan Joyce or Gill, she should say no. You, uh, you better get it. You'll answer it. Yeah. But I'm I'm pretty good at being able to sort of tune out. Yeah. Um, and and there've been times when I haven't been good, and that's mostly been at home. Um, but Janine was always good at recognising that. So Richard, you're not with us. You're better off going and doing what you've got to do because. Um, yeah, you're like a ghost in your own. You house. might you might yeah. think you're being a good father, a good husband, but you're not really. At yeah. The moment. So you, we're better off if you go and do that, and then when you're done, um, then we want we yeah. want Richard. We sort of know. So she's always <laughs> been good at picking that. Yeah. And I think I've got better over the years at picking it a bit myself. Yeah. Uh, so, but also, you know, I um, having said, I as a young person, I never want to be a farmer. We bought a farm some years ago after the global financial crisis. So that's a an escape if you. If you're uh, if I'm up on the farm, that uh, feels like a million miles away. Yeah, and and I can escape there. So Where, where's the farm if you don't mind me? Northeast of Two J. Right, it's a beautiful farm. And it just is it a hobby farm? It's a working. No, it's farm, a real it? farm. It's a real farm. Yeah. And the homestead was built in 1923 by my great grandfather, as it turns right. out. So there's a sort of connection. Yeah. And it's 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 a beautiful part of the world, and um, and not too far. No, that's if right. you want to yeah. get away from it. No, so I've got that. So phone off when you're there? No, it doesn't no, work it's that never well. Off. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but you know, if you're if you're in the sheep yards or whatever, then you know the sheep aren't. They don't care about. <laughs> yeah. So that um, so I, I I've got a reasonable balance. I'm busy, um, and it's been busy. The last few years have been busy because COVID. Um, the impacts of that Woodside we had the merger with BHP Petroleum. So there's been some big stuff on. But it hasn't been a bad time to be busy, mm. Tim. And uh, so, you know, I, I, I enjoy it and I am pretty good at getting stuff done that needs to get done. So some people would say, you know, are you too busy to do two listed companies? I, I'm pretty clear on priorities. Families first. Then I've got two businesses that pay me to be chairman and so I've got 
serious obligations there. And then I've got the AFL and mm. the symphony orchestra and telethon that I, I love the, the involvement with. Yeah. So, I mean, being a, a, a family band though, four kids, Yeah, uh, that's a busy, busy household, no matter how hard your work obligations are. Yeah, um, but also how, takes, how, takes how you, you, you to manage? another place, as you know, Tim. You know, yeah. it's, it's it's good. How do you manage all of that, though? Well, uh, you know, great kids, an amazing partner, um, and and it was yeah, I had no. I remember having a conversation with them all early on when I was CEO of West Farmers, and I said, you know, Dad's going to be busy. Um, there's going to be times when I'm not going to be around long. I'll be travelling a lot. You know, I was probably travelling up to half the year, yeah, uh, away from home half the year. But I said there'll be some benefits, and they all looked and said, "Yeah, ski holidays, Dad." <laughs> <laughs> so the kids actually become pretty um, resilient as well. Yeah. Uh, and and what I tried to do was ensure that when we were doing family times, you know, that that I was present, mm. which, as I said, I wasn't always successful. I remember Michael Chaney saying, you know, he'd, he'd try and get home at least a couple of nights a week to have dinner with the family. And I got, I got into that. I had a terrific office at home where I could work late in the evening if, if required. And so, they, you know, I, I look at our kids and, you know, Janine and I are really proud of all four kids and um, they're going really well. So despite um, all my shortcomings as a, as, a, <laughs> as a father, they're going pretty well. How much of a, of, a, of a shock to the family dynamic was it when you learnt that your son had his uh, issues with diabetes? Yeah, so Will was eight. Yeah. Um, and, and so that was 2006 because uh, he was born in 98. And that was very early on in my time as CEO of West Farmer. So it was a big shock. So yep. I, I had a busy job. I was early on in the role. And then all of a sudden you've got this autoimmune disease that's no one's fault, but it's life-changing. Um, so it was a shock to us all. And and there's the emotional shock. There's the There were the nights when I'd be getting up, pricking his fingers, giving him injections of insulin, and you sort of think, why, why him? You know, all those questions. Um, but he's been amazing. Will's been mm. really amazing with it. He's been a, a groundbreaker in using new technology, um, Janine and I have been involved in the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation and 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 JDRF and the government and others around the world have made big advances. It's, you know, people say to us, oh, he'll grow out of it one day. No, type 1 diabetes is an autoimmune disease. You don't grow out of it. The, 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 the ambition is we find a cure. But it's interesting, you know, his, his two brothers and sister, everyone's got him behind Will and it sort of feels like Team Will a bit mm. um, to make sure that he has as as good and healthy a life as anyone can. And, uh, you know, he plays footy for Mozzie Park. Um, he's finished a law degree. He's going incredibly well. Um, yep. And, you know, and he manages this, you know, sinister um, disease really well. But those, those things are a shock. I, I think, as you know this well yourself, Tim, uh, I th- per, uh, telethon then becomes a bit more personal and medical research becomes a bit more personal when it, there's something that impacts you directly. And, you know, I think that's, that's why as a country we do really great philanthropic stuff and government support for making the lives of people who really need some help. 
better. Yeah. I, I think, you know, whether it's Telethon or other charities around the country, we do yeah. pretty well on that front. Yeah, no, we certainly do. Thank you so much for coming in and sharing some of your story. We appreciate your time. Great to chat, Tim. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Inspiring Stories here on 882 6PR. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. We'll look forward to you joining us next time as we unearth another inspiring story. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Stuff for your face and body? It's men's skincare with a purpose. Top quality Aussie-made grooming and skincare to help guys look and feel great with no hassles. Plus, Stuff is helping mental health too. Find Stuff at Woolworths or visit websiteofstuff.com.